have a seat and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. Acts 25, we've been walking verse by verse through Acts, Luke's account of our origin story. It's been great and encouraging. And actually, I hope you have your Bible because today I only, we only printed verses 1 through 12 in the bulletin. And if you listen as well as 930 did, then we'll get all the way through chapter 25 today. And um, I want you to see it for yourself. I don't want you to take my word for it. I hope you have your own Bible, and you can do that. Um, what we're going to see today is a man who has been left in prison for two years. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just been going through it. That's Paul. We're going to see some other kind of messed up people, one named Festus, one named Agrippa, one named Bernice. And I hope when you leave here today, you'll, you'll, you'll be more committed to living like Paul, more encouraged to live like Paul, who really, at the end of the day, he feared God more than he feared man. And that's where, how, how we, we need to live. But it's, it's easy to fear man or our circumstances. Have you ever been in a situation where it just felt like God was allowing too much pressure in your life? You ever been there? It's like, Lord, this is heavy. I can't take it. Um, I need you to relieve the pressure. And, and James, our brother, brother James told us that we have not because we ask not. So we go to God. God, you can heal the cancer. You can send the money. You can, you can, you can fix the problem at work. You could, you could fix the marriage. And we prayed that, and it just seemed like things got worse. And then we start questioning ourselves. Is it, was it me? Did I say it wrong? Did I use the wrong formula? God, do you really love me? Eventually, we move and shift from questioning ourselves to questioning God. God, you're in control. You're in charge. Why haven't you relieved this pressure? Why haven't you fixed this? And then it gets to the heart of it all, is, is whether we're really going to trust him or not. Because it's one thing to trust someone when you can see and understand everything they're doing, right? That's, 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 that's the easy thing. That's kind of the hard thing about being a parent of a little kid, right? Because they, they want you to explain everything, and you just can't explain everything to them. They just don't understand it completely, and they just have to trust you. The gap between us and a small child is nothing compared to the gap between us and the knowledge and wisdom of our Heavenly Father. But some of you, you've been through it. Anybody here been through it? Have you just been through like that valley? Have you, you, you walked through a, a difficult season of your life with a relationship or a job or health-wise or anything? Anybody here been through it? You survived. Look at that. So everybody that's going through it right now knows these folks survived. How about right now? Anybody in that season? You're saying, that's me right now. And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's you physically doing it. Or maybe you're the main caregiver for someone. Or maybe at work, you're not sure you're going to have a job next week. You're not sure what's going on there. You're not sure what's going on in your relationship. You've been working and praying and trying to restore it, and it just seems like it's getting worse. Or school just started, and now you don't have anywhere to park, and you can't figure out how to get your homework done. And it just seems like you thought it was going to be the best year ever, and it's turning into the worst year ever, it seems like. And you're just in the middle of it, and you're thinking, Lord, what's going on? I'm ready to get, I'm ready to get through this. That's, that's where we find Paul. In, in, in Acts 25, really, as we walk through this, we, we saw last week he was on trial with Felix. He's there with this guy. Felix was the, the kind of interesting, his name meant happy, but he was, a, he was a wreck. This guy, Felix, was governor of Judea, and he was not an honest guy. Um, and he, was, he leaves Paul in prison for, for two years for no reason. And while he's there, he continually talks about Jesus, but he's just, he's just stuck there. And I think the heart of it all, really even I said to turn to Acts 25, but if you have your Bible, maybe you can flip back to Matthew 22. Because what, what we're really talking about in, in all of this, and even the way we're kind of introducing this, is what do you really love? 
What do you really fear? And those, those words are only used interchangeably. So when I talk about fear today, I'm not talking about fear of spiders, like those things are fear, but what you fear controls you. So in a sense, we are. But when we talk about fearing God, we, we talk about fearing displeasing him. We're talking about fearing dishonoring him. We, we reverence him. And, and what we talked about last week as well in Acts 24, we saw over and over again that there is a judgment coming. You will stand before God. That's guaranteed. And, and you will give an account. And, and what we've seen in the Bible, that's where we kind of got our title for our sermon, came from chapter 2, the little book we're going to study with our men's Bible study on Saturday mornings at 9.30, free commercial just right there. Uh, on September 9th, we're going to start this study called Choosing a Life That Matters. There's seven decisions you'll never regret. And the second week of our study, it's going to, the, the title of the chapter is Fear God, Not Man. Fear God, not man. And like, if you're not a reader, dude, you can do that book, right? That's cake, so we can do that. We really just get together and study the Bible. We just use this as an excuse to do it. But to fear God, not man, that's what I want us to do. And when I say fear God, it's not just this fear of I'm afraid of him, but it's a fear that is born out of love. Because because Jesus himself was asked one day, he was asked one day in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment? It's the number one commandment. And what was his answer? It's to love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and great command. And when we say you love God first, that means, God, I'm going to love you more than my wife, than my kids, than my job. I'm going to love you more than my comfort. So there are a lot of people today that will come to church and they'll say, I'm going to go to church because, God, I want you to give me the raise. I want you to fix my marriage. And he, he can do those things. I want you to heal my mom. I want you to heal me. He, can, he does those things. That's why we pray. We ask him. We know he does that. But sometimes... He doesn't. And in those moments, that's when you see whether you really trust him or not. It's when, when you, when, in fact, if you have someone that says that they love you right now, just go home and do something that they don't like, right? And, and see, like, that's, that's where you get to, and, and you can tell you're, you're going to have it out. But if they really love you, they're going to stick with you. If they really love you, you're going to work through that. It's, they don't just love you because you're doing what they want you to do, but even when you do things they don't understand, they still love you. And that's that's how we should be with the Lord, with God, because he's in charge. And he's in control. In fact, in that little book I was preparing for, there's a, there's a quote um, from a guy named Patrick Morley. And he said, cultural Christianity means to pursue God, the God we want, instead of the God who is. Cultural Christianity means to pursue the God we want instead of the God who is. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing today. We're saying, God, I'm going to pursue you because you're going to make my life better and easier, faster, stronger, you'll, you'll, whatever it is. You're going to fix this. And then if, if God doesn't do that, they walk away. And, and so, so don't be a cultural Christian that just pursues the God you want instead of the God who is. It's a scary thing when people say things like, well, if God would do that, I could never trust a God like that. I could never. Because God's just bigger than your brain. He's working all things together for good. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some pretty horrible things going on in the world. And our God is in charge. I don't understand it all, but I trust him. And so, so don't just look for the God you want, but the God who is. That's why you need to know who God is from the word of God, from your Bible. You need to hear this and see and know him for yourself. Don't just count on me to tell you about him. You need to have your own relationship with him. You need to be reading your Bible every day. You need to trust Jesus and follow him. When we talk about loving God with all your heart, it's not something you can just leave here and go, all right, that's it. I'm signing up. I'm going to go love God with all of my heart because your heart is, is broken. Your heart is sinful. You need a new heart in order to do even what Jesus commanded us to do. That's the idea. Because if we're honest about this, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love him with all my heart. Well, I don't know about you, but I've failed already. 
We've all already failed. We, we, we can't just do that. We need someone to be our substitute. We need someone to make our heart right and give us a new heart. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Because your sin deserved death. And he died on the cross for sinners. And whoever would turn for their sin and trust Jesus and be forgiven, he'll give you a new heart. And you follow him and trust him. You still stumble. But man, at the end of the day, it's, Lord, I want to run back to you. I don't want to run from you. I, I love you. But God will give you a heart that will love him above all else. And that's, those are the kind of people we write about. Those are the kind of people that change the world, the people that love God with all their heart. When the doctor gives you the bad news, when you have to have the hard conversation, when the relationship falls apart, if you try to do everything right. But instead of walking away from God, you lean into God. And you say, God, I'm going to love you in the middle of this. I don't understand it. I want to I respond the right way. But I'm not just trying to get out, get the pressure relieved. I want to walk through this valley in a way that shows that I know you. That's what we see in Paul. I mean, if you think about it, this guy has done nothing wrong and he's been left in prison for two years. In fact, at the very end of 24, since we're going off the uh, script a bit there in your bulletin, if you have your Bible, you can look at verse 27. And when, when two years had elapsed, Felix, remember Felix wanted Paul to give him some money and he didn't bribe him. He was succeeded by Porcius Festus, that's just a funny name. And uh, he's succeeded by this guy, Festus. Festus is actually way better than Felix. According to historians like, like Josephus, he's a guy that wrote history of this. He said Festus was a noble guy. And he, he did the right thing and he took action a lot. Felix, there's nothing good written about. And he was a procrastinator we saw last week. We talked about how he shouldn't put off getting right with God. That's what Felix did. But Festus is a man of action. And he takes over, but... It says at the end of 24 that desiring to do the Jews a favor, these people that wanted to kill Paul himself was Jewish. He means the Jewish leaders. Felix left Paul in prison for two years. Two years. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just stuck there. He, he's, I brought a gift. He, in fact, what he did was, the reason he's in prison, he, he brought a gift from the Gentile churches in what was known as Asia at the time to Jerusalem to help poor people. I'm just trying to help people. And he gets thrown in jail. And now he's been left and forgotten in jail for two years. But once Festus takes over, verse 25, we see action immediately. So there's some, there's some, there's some things definitely not to follow about Festus. But one of the things I would commend Festus to you for is he's a man of action. I love that. So three days after Festus arrived in the province for his new job, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So Caesarea was basically their, their courthouse where they did business in this, this, this governorship, this area. But he, he knew the most important city around there was Jerusalem. And so he goes to Jerusalem to find out what's going on. The chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. So part of the job of a Roman governor was to keep these Jewish folks from rebelling against their rule. So he's got to check in with them. You've got to win hearts and minds. You've got to make sure you're, you're keeping everyone happy and everything's smooth and so he goes and they lay out their case against Paul. They urged him, asking a favor against Paul, that he, would, that he would summon him to Jerusalem. And this is amazing because it's been two years. The guy's been languishing in prison for two years. Now he's been under house arrest. It's been, we saw last week, it's the light one, but still, you're, he's confined. And if you remember, the way he got to Caesarea was once he was arrested, 40 men vowed not to eat or drink anything until they killed Paul. Now, it's been two years. I'm assuming those guys either ate or drank something or they're not around anymore. But whoever it was, it's been two years. And they're still planning an ambush to kill him on the way. 
which is crazy if you think about it. These are supposedly the religious leaders. These are people that had the Old Testament that supposedly fear this God, and they're saying, we're going to kill this guy. And it's been two years. You would think, you know what I would say to them in a psalm? I think I would say, maybe it's time to let it go. Maybe you could just, you know, you're not going to see eye to eye with Paul, but you don't have to keep trying to kill him. And maybe if this was a longer sermon or it was another one, I would even say that to some of you today. You've got bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness towards someone that, listen, they may never repent. And I'm not saying for sure, if they don't repent, you don't just offer forgiveness, forgiveness, but you, you don't have to hold that bitterness and grudge in your heart. You can trust the Lord with vengeance. And maybe it's time for you to let it go today. Say, so God, whether they get it right or not, I'm not going to hold on to this. God, I'm going I'm to move on. But that's, that's where they were. They weren't moving on. They're stuck, and they're playing this ambush. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea. I love that. They're like, can you send him down here to us? And now what's amazing, too, even by that previous verse, is Luke understood this. So this is known to people that they're planning this. So Festus probably knew it as well, which is really interesting when we see what happens next. But Festus tells them, in the moment, he doesn't agree to that. He says, Paul's being kept at Caesarea. He himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Let's go. You guys, I'll tell you what, you want him to come here, I don't, he's not saying it out loud, but he knows what they want to do. He says, I'll tell you what, you guys come with me. So again, Festus looks honorable. He says, if you want to charge the guy, come to Caesarea. So after he, he stayed uh, among them, not more than eight or ten days. Again, he's a man of action. He went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal, which is interesting. That seat there, if you're like a Bible nerd, it's the word bima, which is the idea of bima seat, this judgment seat that we will stand before. Um, it's similar to that. And so he's, he's the judge, and he's there in the tribunal. He ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing... This is interesting how Luke says this. Many and serious charges against him. So whatever they are, he doesn't detail them, but there are many and serious charges. We saw last week, they said that he, was, he brought Gentiles into the temple. They were, they were saying he was causing riots. They were saying all these things. So whatever they were here, probably similar to last week. But <laughs> what's amazing is they bring many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul has lived a life above reproach. It's what all Christians should do. We should live a life that if you follow Jesus, that if someone brings an accusation against you, the people that really know you are going to say, there's, there's nothing to that. You, you ha- you're not suffering because you've done evil, but you're suffering because you're, you're identified with Jesus. And Paul argued in his defense. So Paul doesn't just sit there either. I love this. He, he's there, but he, they, can't, they can't prove... They can't prove what they're doing. There's no corruption there. So actually, so what we see here is they're bringing this accusation and Paul is just standing there and enduring it. It's what our, our brother Peter encouraged his readers to do and us. They were, they were suffering under persecution from a guy named Nero. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, there are a lot of people today maybe that are hearing this or that'll see this and they'll say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. And maybe it's not because you're a Christian. Maybe it's just because you're a jerk. I don't know. Or maybe it's because, maybe it's because you, you broke the law. 
and you're, you're, you've justified it, saying that I can get away with this, I don't have to be truthful here, I can do whatever it is, and I'm going to do that. And so now you're suffering because of that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people that have done right. And he says, what credit is if you do that? But if you, look at this, when you do good and suffer for it, those two things don't go together sometimes in cultural Christianity. If I do good, my life will get easier. But Peter says, what about when you do good and then you suffer? If you do good and suffer for it, look what he says. That is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's mind-blowing. Doesn't sound very gracious, does it? I did good and now I'm suffering. It's a gracious thing, but... God's using Paul. That's what Paul's going through right here. If you do good, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, you have been called, because remember who we serve? Listen, just so you know, in case you're just coming to church and thinking church people are just good people, that we're not. Um, we're, we're sinners that have been forgiven because Jesus, someone else died in our place. Someone else suffered for us. The way that I'm right with God is not by me trying harder, doing better. It's I trust that Jesus, who suffered for me, died in my place. He, he rose from the dead. He's alive. In fact, what he says is, you have been called because Christ, verse 21, he suffered for you. That's how you're right with God. It's, it's at the expense of the blood of Christ that we are right before God, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We have to be careful with that verse because it's not just an example. He, his, his death, his substitutionary atonement is not something we can emulate, but the sacrificial attitude is. And that doesn't make you right with God. It's because we already talked about this last week. It's because we already trust him, follow him. We're made right with him, so we're willing to do this. It's not something we're doing to earn God's favor. But then I love verse 8 because Paul doesn't just take it. He argues in his defense. And he, and he says, because he says, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. So Paul doesn't just agree to this. It's okay to defend yourself. It's okay to stand up for what is true and right. And even use the law. And that's what Paul does here. But what's amazing is after Paul makes his defense, and Festus, though, verse 9, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, which is kind of a crazy question, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? So it's like Festus going, look, I'll be your judge. I'll be your judge. I'll make sure you get a fair trial. Let's just go to Jerusalem. Now think about it. Luke knows they're trying to kill him. Do you think Festus knows they're lying in wait to kill him? He probably does. He's trying to... In fact, that's what he said. He's trying to, to do the Jews a favor. He's trying to keep peace in the land. And this guy Paul has been causing problems. And if I can just take him to Jerusalem, maybe they'll settle down. See, what Festus is doing, he's operating with a fear of man instead of God. He says, I just want to do whatever it takes to make this circumstance better and easier in the moment. And if I have to dishonor God to do that, then I'm willing to do it. If I, if I have to dishonor God to pass the class then I'll be through the class and it'll be okay. So I'm just going to do it just this once. If I don't have the money right now, I can just dishonor God a little bit and I can be dishonest on my taxes or I can do whatever the thing is at work that's a little bit shady and, and it'll be okay and I'll get through this and then I'll represent God well because look, I'll have a lot more money to represent well with and it's going to be great. He's making excuses and he's afraid of man really is what it is. And what he fears, what he fears is the loss of his comfort, the loss of his power instead of really fearing God. You got to fear God more than you fear man. That's, that's what we're seeing here. But Paul fears God more than man. Because when Paul answers him, he's, he's saying, I'm offering you a way out, Paul. But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. We saw this last week. He's a Roman citizen. He has this right. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. That's interesting. The tides kind of turn. The tables are a little bit flipped there. You're supposed to be the judge. 
And Paul's kind of going, hey, look, buddy, you, you know I'm innocent. You know that. You know I haven't done anything wrong. And I think probably they're probably both looking at each other and Festus is going, yeah, and I was about, I'm willing to take you to Jerusalem so they can kill you. Instead of repenting, he doesn't, he doesn't repent. But Paul says, I love verse 11. This is where I got the title for the sermon today about not being afraid to die. If I then am a wrongdoer, if, if then I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. I'm not afraid of the consequences that are in front of me. I'm not afraid of, 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 of whatever the world is sending our way trying to scare us. I'm not afraid of this situation not being what I want. I, I'll grieve over it. I'll grieve over, I grieve over, I grieve over when I see relationships that don't survive, that I want to survive. I grieve over when I see people walking into sin that I wish wouldn't. I grieve, grieve over those things. That's good to grieve, but we don't fall apart because things don't look the way that we want them to look. We, we trust the Lord. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of that, but even, even here he says, listen, if I'm a wrongdoer, I've committed anything for which I deserve to die, I don't, I don't seek to escape death. And that's what we're going to see with Festus. If you fear man more than God, then you're living your life trying to please other people. You're trying to get them more money. You've got, you've got whatever you have in the place of, of love God with all your heart. If you love anything more than God, that's your God. And then you're living your life trying to make sure you don't lose the, the title. I don't lose the money. I don't lose the pleasure. I don't lose. I have this fear that the, 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 my idea of what my life should look like, it might not turn out that way if I stand for God because that's going to be at risk and you, that's your God then. But Paul says, I'm not afraid to die. I don't need to escape death. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. He said, but if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. He knew the law. He said, I appeal to Caesar. And with that, he seals his fate. It's like, it's like when they're reading your Miranda rights, you say, I want my lawyer. They've stopped asking you questions. I don't know why I know that. But that, that's what they said. So they, he goes, I'm appealing to Caesar. And at that moment, that's it. Now Festus is in, in trouble. Because this guy just appealed to Caesar, and the law says you have to send a Roman citizen to Caesar if they, if they appeal to them. It's really all part of the plan, because in, in chapter 19, if you have your Bible, in 1921, Paul had purposed in his heart to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome as a stopover on a way to a mission trip to Spain. But he wanted to go to Rome. I mean, that's the capital of the empire. He wanted to take the gospel there, plant churches there. There are already Christians there. Even, even in fact, in, in, in chapter 23, verse 11, the Lord stood by Paul as he's in jail, and he said, you're going to testify before me, for me in Rome. I'm going to get you there. You don't have to worry, Paul. I've got you in my hand. And now we don't have a direct word from God about how I'm, God's going to get you to Buffalo or God's going to get you to... Ocala or wherever you're going or Middleburg today where I'm trying to go later. Um, I don't have like knowledge that that's exactly where I'm going to end up, but I do know this. I'm going to end up wherever God wants me to go. No one's bigger than my God. No one's greater than my God. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret about it. I can trust him to get me where he wants me to be. And I rest in that. And that's where Paul's doing. He says, I'm, I'm not afraid of death. And he told me I'm going to Rome, but even if, if I'm worth dying, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not seeking to escape that. I'm not just trying to weasel out of this thing, Festus. Because I've actually made peace with the fact that I might die. See, Paul knew what the writer of Hebrews knew and what you need to know. And I, I hate to be the one, actually I don't hate to be the one. I'm glad to be the one to break it to you and I don't want to be a bummer to you. But I don't know if you know this or not, but you're probably going to die one day. Every one of you, you're going to stand before God, you're going to die. This life is temporary, it's short. The older you get, the shorter it feels like, right? 
But it's, it's, it goes quick. It goes quick, especially start having kids. And you look back at pictures, and like we were back there a moment ago. We we're looking at pictures of the, the first building we built, like in Panama, and looking at how little kids that went with us were then. And then the one that we're going to go work on, Aaron and I were both there. He, we looked the same. Aaron and I both were the same. It was like, but it was like 2012 or 2011. We're like, man, where did the time go? I'm talking to people. I'm like, how old were you then? I was in fourth grade. These men that are going with us now. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. It's insane. It goes quick. And then one day it'll be over. Here's the thing. That day that it's over, if you know Jesus, it might be really, and it might be really hard. Everybody doesn't get an easy, peaceful death. It could be very difficult. But the day that you die, if you know Jesus, that's actually going to be the best day of your life. It'll be hard for us that are left behind. We'll be sad. I hope we'll be sad. But we're also going to rejoice. But if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be just the beginning of the worst day for all of eternity for you. You need to trust Jesus. But it's coming. And Paul knew that because the writer of Hebrews said it's appointed unto a man once to die and after that the judgment. It's appointed. It's, it's guaranteed. Psalm 39, David said, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. This life, we, some of you are living like you're going to live forever and you might not have another week. You need to make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're trusting Jesus because eternity is forever. Job said that since his days are determined, our days are determined, the number of his months is with you, God. So God, you know the number of the months that we're going to live. You have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. We're not going to live a day longer than God intends for us to live on this planet. So how do we live? We should live then with fear of God, not fear of man, because Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Paul's looking at Festus going, it looks like you have all the power, but you kind of know that I haven't done anything wrong and I'm not afraid to die. So what are you going to do now? I'm not worried about it. I fear God more than I fear man. Don't fear those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I think I had it on there. Do I have that verse on there? Did I put it in? I may not have put it in there. It's a good one. It's Matthew 10, 28. You should write it down and look at it. I didn't put it in there, did I? That's my fault. I wish I had. That's why you need to have your Bible open. You need to check it out. Make sure I'm not making it up. Matthew 10, 28. But you see Matthew 10, 28 says that, that God is, is the one that determines where you spend eternity. You should fear him, not man. And he made it possible for you to be forgiven by sending his son Jesus. So if you'll trust him, you can be forgiven. That's what you need, who you need to trust. And if you trust Jesus, Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. That sad day for us is a rejoicing day in heaven because you're, you're right. You're made right before God. So don't fear death. Just like Paul in verse 11, don't fear death. Fear God. Don't fear man. You love God. If you, if you fear man, it's going to lead to bad decisions. You need to fear God. And don't be afraid of that if you've trusted Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ, please, please, today, today, surrender your heart to him. Why would you put it off? We saw about procrastination last week. Don't, don't put it off. So Festus hears all this, and then he confers with his council. Look at verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you will go. Which actually creates a pretty big problem for Festus now. We'll, we'll see what that problem is in a moment, because he fears Caesar. So now, verse 13. When some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. So this is interesting when you see Agrippa. This is actually Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II. He's the brother of Drusilla, who we saw in chapter 24. She has already had an audience with Paul and heard about the gospel. He's the son of the guy who, earlier in the book of Acts, killed the apostle James. 
and then himself got really puffed up and proud and died and was eaten by worms. So this, this Herod, this family has been seen a lot through here. And it gets even more twisted as we go along. His, his granddad was one that was there when Jesus was born and created an environment where Jesus and his mother and his father had to flee to Egypt or they fled to Egypt. And so we have some pretty wicked rulers here. And this guy shows up and he's a pretty wicked ruler. And, and in fact, it says that he's there with Bernice he arrived at Caesarea and greeted Philip's. Now, greeted Festus. Now, it gets even weirder and Jerry Springer-ish because Bernice is, is the kind of ooh because this is like, this is his sister. And she's treated as a queen. And so historians would say she would leave and go to another marriage and come back to her brother and go to another marriage and come back to her brother. It was just, just, it, these are sick people. So he's there with Bernice. They arrived at Caesarea. They greeted Festus. And as they stayed there, but this is Festus's boss. And they stayed there many days. Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, this man is left prisoner by Felix. So he's been given this power by Rome. He's still under Rome, but he's over this area. And so ultimately, Caesar is like, there's an org chart where we go, Caesar, Herod Agrippa, Festus is way down here somewhere. So, but it, there's, he's, so, so Festus is afraid of both these people. But he's asking for help from Agrippa. He, after he stayed many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. And Agrippa probably went, yeah, that Felix guy, he just procrastinated, he's a mess. When I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests, the elders, the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. But I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Now, Paul had already done that a couple years earlier, but he fesses like, I want to see you guys bring this to him myself. So when they came together here, I made no delay because I'm not a procrastinator. And on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, this is amazing. They brought no charge in his case of such evils as I'd suppose. He's saying, listen, they, they, they came to bring these accusations against Paul. And even though Luke said they were serious, I thought they had something major against him. But it really wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know what all the hubbub is about. I don't know if he would have said hubbub, whatever they say in Latin. But he said, I don't know what all the, the craziness is. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him. This is amazing. About their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. That's an amazing verse in this text. Because here you have Festus, this, this ungodly ruler, Roman ruler, that is, that is there over this thing. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know Judaism. He's not familiar with this stuff. That's one of the reasons he's asking Herod because Herod has connections with Judaism and he's Jewish and so that he would know this and so he's asking for help. He doesn't know the story, but he's been around Paul long enough to understand. Here's what it's really all about. It's really about this man, Jesus, who died and Paul says is still alive. See, now, I, wish, I hope that's what the message that our neighbors and our friends get from us because a lot of times people that know Christians, before I became a Christian, I would get to know Christians and I would think, well, they're just good people. They keep rules. They do all this stuff. And I'd heard about Jesus and I figured we need him for like Easter and apparently Christmas, right? But for the most part, it's about you being good and you keep the rules and you'll be okay. Festus got the message. This isn't just about Jesus being a good teacher, but everybody else says he died and Paul says he was alive. That's the heart of the message. I hope that our neighbors, whether they believe it or not, they understand that we're here worshiping Jesus who died and rose again. Because if that's true, it changes everything. You can't just walk away from that. But there, it's funny, there are a lot of people that say, well, yeah, that may be happening, but it doesn't change their life. But 
But, but if you're honest about it, you have to go, wait, if he defeated death, that means he's really God come to the flesh, that God accepted his sacrifice. This is, he said he was the way, the truth, the life. There's no one coming to the Father except through him. There's no plan B. If Jesus is alive, he's king and he's Lord. And then that means it's true what Paul said in Philippians 2, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you either do it in this life or you'll do it in the life to come, but it'll be too late if you wait beyond the day that you die. You're going to acknowledge it, though. And so here, he, Festus gets it. So Jesus, they're saying he's, he's, lit, he, he's risen. But I, I don't know what to do with that. He doesn't apparently buy it because, verse 20, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them, but Paul wasn't stupid. So when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you, you will hear him. So, they're going to bring him before Agrippa and Bernice. It's pretty amazing. So, so then on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. Now again, we already know how kind of twisted this is. But when he came with great pomp, I'm not sure exactly what pomp is, but I would imagine it meant they had nice shoes on. They probably had expensive shoes. They probably would have been on preachers and sneakers kind of thing. They would, have, they would have the expensive stuff. They had the big watch. They had the probably robes, crowns. I mean, he's king, right? You've been given rulership here. There's, there's, there's a lot. There's probably fanfare. There's probably music. It's a big deal in town when this happens. They enter the audience hall with the military tribune. So now there's soldiers coming in with them, probably dressed in their dress gear. You got shiny helmets, swords. And Festus is there. And the prominent men of the city. And so they're all there. And you see this. And if you're, if you're writing the news report for this, you're writing about how amazing it was, how beautiful it was. This stuff just doesn't happen every day. And they're writing home about how, how, how incredible this is. But they're kind of missing the point when they look at that, of what God's really doing. They're looking at the situation. They're saying, man, look at all the shiny. Look at all this amazing stuff. And then they bring in this little guy. We think Paul was short. We don't really have a physical description of him in, in Scripture. It looks like he might have had bad eyesight. But in, a, in, a, in an account that was written years later called The Acts of Paul and Thecla, there's, there's a description of Paul. And, and, and it says that he was a man of small stature with bald head and crooked legs. <laughs> small stature, bald head, crooked legs, in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. This is not movie star guy walking in, right? Paul is, is not, he's not exactly impressive. In fact, probably less impressive if they're bringing him in as a prisoner. So he probably stinks. He's probably dirty. He's probably just wearing prison clothes. And you, you contrast that with the regal king and qu sister queen, whatever weirdness that is. They're coming in, all this stuff is going on, and everybody's looking, and they think the big deal, and everybody in town thinks it's the prominent people. It's Festus, it's Bernice, it's uh, Agrippa. These are the people that are important. These are the people that matter. This guy has no power. But today, who are we really talking about? I would venture to say that, that the only time, for the most part, that Herod, Agrippa, and Bernice, and Festus are mentioned is when Paul's being talked about today. 
But I'll also venture to say that without them being mentioned probably every single Sunday, somewhere in the world, someone's talking about Paul or what he wrote because he talked about Jesus. See, I think some of you today, you're looking around you and you're thinking, God, I'm just trying to be faithful to you. I'm just trying to follow you. And it seems like all these other people that aren't following you are getting the promotion, they're getting the attention. It seems like their lives are easy and my life is hard. I want you to know the story's not over yet. And when you look at it, you want to be Paul, not Agrippa. For sure, not Agrippa and Bernice. You want to be, you want to be Paul. You want to be the person that fears God and not man. And even though in the moment that you fear God and not man, it might look like the world is winning. In the end, God wins. In the end, we win if you trust Jesus. And so there's where Paul is. He's there, and they come in, and, and they're, 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 wait a minute, what verse I am on now? Sorry, so verse 23. <laughs> they, get a, they gave orders to the centurion he should be kept in custody. Wow, that's chapter 24. Let me go over here. So they're, they're there. They, they come in. You have all this pomp and circumstance. Little Paul's just sitting there. And this is amazing. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who were present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. Especially there, you're looking, you're saying, this guy has no power. But this guy fears God more than he fears man. So he's not afraid. But I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. So you want to go, Festus, why didn't you let him go? Answer, because I feared man. Festus didn't do what was right because he feared, he feared what the reaction would be. And he, as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But now I have a problem because I fear man more than I fear God. And I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you and especially before you, King Agrippa. Please help me. So that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me, look at this, it seems unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. And honestly, if you're honest with yourself, if you're living against God's law, if you really look at your life, it's really unreasonable. God has, God has shown you how to live and, and he's creator and he knows what's best for you. And you've said, I think I'll figure it out on my own. I'll do it my way. It's a little bit unreasonable. It's not very smart. The one, that, the one that you will stand before as your judge, you've said, nope, nope, I don't really need you. I'll do it my own way. That's, that's not, you know that's not smart. But he's saying, it didn't seem reasonable to me to send this guy. Now I don't know what to write. I'm in trouble because my fear of man has got me in a bind is where he is. And that's what's happened to some of you. Your fear of man has gotten you in a bind. The answer is to repent and just say, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust Jesus and let you handle the consequences. Whether it gets easier or harder, I'm staying faithful to you. So Agrippa said to Paul, down in verse 26, verse 1, since we've already gone through 25, we can keep going. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand, and he made his defense, and it's amazing. But if you want to hear it, you'll have to come back next time. So, um, so that's, that's, that's going to be good. It's so good. I'm telling you, it's so good. But we've already gotten Jesus. He died. He rose again. <coughs> that's the point there. So I just want to encourage you as we wrap this up with a couple of words from our brother Peter. So I want you to fear God more than you fear man. I want you to love God with all your heart. And, 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 and even those of you that are in the middle of that season right now where it seems like God's not relieving the pressure, I want you to know he loves you. He's there with you. You look to Jesus. That's how you know you're right with God. In fact, what Peter told suffering Christians in 1 Peter 4, they were suffering under Nero, but it, it applies whether you're suffering under cancer or suffering under circumstances you had nothing to do with. God still loves you. He's still in control. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice in the fiery trial insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Which is pretty amazing. 
Sometimes when you're suffering, it's, it's good to reflect and think, God, I'm suffering and this hurts right now, but you suffered the wrath of God for me. And so what you went through was worse than this, but you know where I am. You understand. You share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And some of you are there. You've been rejected by your family because you stood for Christ. You have been misunderstood. You have been misrepresented. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. <laughs> some of you have never been insulted for the name of Christ. Maybe we need to stand a little bit stronger for him. Because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. There, but let none of you, here he is, don't let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Don't suffer because it's not, you can't say, well, I broke the law and so now I'm suffering because I was a criminal. No, no. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. And finally, I want to point you one chapter back. So Peter talks about this in chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. We've looked at 2 and 4. So chapter 3 of 1 Peter 3, he said, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? which means you love God, you fear God more than you fear man. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So, so God, this hurts. I want you to relieve the pressure. I don't understand what you're doing, but you're holy, you love me, and you're good. So I'm going to trust you right now. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect so that your Festus could say, hey, I don't understand why these people are mad at this guy, but I know he believes that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. I understand that's what his life is all about. So, so make sure you have that, that reason there, having a good conscience, so that when you are, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. We think it's never God's will for us to suffer sometimes, but really, clearly, it is. It's better that it, you suffer for doing good if it's God's will than for doing evil. And then he goes right back to the cross, for Christ also suffered once for sins. That's the great news. That sin that you committed when you were a kid, Christ suffered for that. You can be forgiven if you will trust him today. You have hope. Listen, none of us measure up. Every single one of us have not loved God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul. We've all fallen short. We haven't been the perfect husband, the perfect mom, the perfect dad, the perfect kid. We, nobody has. We all said, God, I want to run life my own way. There was a moment, point in all of our lives where we said, God, I know you love me and I know you know what's best, but I want to do it my way. We rebelled against him. But there's forgiveness available through Christ because he died, suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And today, if you will turn to him and trust him, you can be forgiven. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He's alive today, and this is the God you will stand before. Do you know him? If you don't, will you trust him today? Do you fear God more than you fear man? Are you, are you thinking, God, I just want to control these things? You made a list, if you made a list right now of the things you can control, things you can't control, like, are you going to trust God with those things that you can't control? Actually, most of the things you put in the things you can control, probably you can't control. This is getting too complicated. But really, you can't, right? You can't make your heart beat another beat. You can't make your brain synapse keep firing. You can't, you can't control. There's so much we don't control. So you need to trust God. So I want you to do that. I want you to do that even right now. We, we bow your heads and let's pray together about this for a moment. If you're here this, well, obviously you're here, you're online, either one. If you don't know Jesus, please surrender your heart to him. Please don't put it off. In fact, right where you sit right now, you don't need to Raise a hand, you need to walk an aisle. I just want you to identify with it. Say, Lord, I, I'm surrendering to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. 
turning from my sin. I'm trusting you today, Jesus. Save me. That's where it starts. Some of you in here, you're not in the middle of the pressure right now. You've been through it and you've come through. You survived it. But you know someone who's in the middle of it right now. Will you take a moment and just lift them up? If they're not believers, ask that God would use the pressure to draw them to himself. And if they are, ask God to give them strength to shine for him, to fear God more than they fear man. Ask him to use you in their life to help them. And maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're in the middle of it right now. And it's just been hard. We just lean into God and say, Lord, help me to trust you when I don't understand what's going on. Help me to represent you well in the middle of this. Lord, this hurts, and I want you to relieve the pressure. Please do that. But Lord, even if you don't, I want to be faithful to you. I want to live as someone that fears you more than I fear man. I want to love you with all my heart through this. Father, we trust you. Or we trust you because we've seen that you have taken the worst event in history where your sinless son was beaten, was mocked, and was crucified. And you've brought the greatest good from that. Through that, through his death, through his resurrection, we can be forgiven. And anyone here that trusts you can. The people that we love and care about, that we know that don't know you yet, Lord, they can be forgiven because of Jesus. And so Lord, help us to talk about him. Help us to point them to him. But Lord, you brought good from that, Lord. So the situation we're facing at work, the situation in our family, what the doctor said, what we're going through right now, we trust you. We don't understand it. We don't have an easy answer for it, but we believe you will make all wrongs right one day. Help us to, to represent you well. Help us to fear you more than we fear man and not to live for comfort, but to live with the purpose that you've called us to live to bring you glory, live to help others see how great you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Paul. We want to be like Paul and not Festus. Help us do that, Lord. Help us hear from your word. I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that are discouraged. God, that this week as they open your word for themselves, Lord, that they would get alone with you, spend time in your word, and you would speak to their hearts, and they would just, they would be aware of you at work, even in the, even in the hardships. They would see you at work around them today. And they would see you answering their prayers. And they would see their hearts growing more in love with you. And you being glorified in their lives. Even in the tough situations. Especially in the tough situations. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.